Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, practicing veterinarian, coming to you as always from the Florida Space Coast. Before I go on here, I just wanted to mention that I have gotten some recent queries, more than... Uh, more than I've ever gotten before for some reason, asking me where in the heck the Florida Space Coast is. And I'm just uh, a little surprised at first to hear that people don't know where exactly the Florida Space Coast is, but I guess I can clarify for those of you wondering, because clearly there's there's a lot that are. Um, the Florida Space Coast is, are, is sort of the collective communities all surrounding uh, Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral is the launching center for NASA, so all of the manned space flights as well as satellite launches and kind of the hub of NASA activity is all in the east central coast of Florida in Cape Canaveral and all of the communities surrounding Cape Canaveral within maybe a 15 mile radius are considered to be part of the space coast. A lot of our infrastructure is all geared around the space program. We have a lot of technological centers here. Boeing is here, GE, uh, Rockwell, Collins, all kinds of different uh, industry, and that's kind of what forms the backbone of our community. So just wanted to mention that very quickly and clarify exactly where uh, where we're coming from here. But as far as our topic is concerned tonight, we are talking about spays and neuters and the tendency for obesity to ensue or the higher tendency for obesity to ensue in these pets. And we're talking specifically about canines and felines. The spay procedure is when a kitty or canine it, it undergoes what's known as an ovarohysterectomy. So the reproductive tract is basically removed and it prevents unwanted pregnancies. It eliminates the pet from having to go through heat cycles and the inconveniences it causes for them as well as the pet owner. It also is pivotal in preventing diseases like mammary cancer later in life or the deadly pyometra, which is also a uh, pretty dangerous condition. On the male side, we have orchiectomy, which is also known as the neuter or castration. Uh, we do those in, in male cats and, and male, male dogs as well. And uh, what we're trying to prevent there is maleness. <laughs> Sounds kind of funny coming from a guy, but... Uh, in pets, the, the, what we're referring to as maleness is on the on the feline side. There will be a tendency to spray, so spray vertical surfaces and in an attempt to mark their territory out. Dogs do kind of a similar thing by lifting their leg and squirting their urine on on uh, vertical surfaces, and that can become somewhat of an inconvenience when you have these pets living in your home. Also, it tends to reduce aggression. It also makes for a happier pet because they're not living their life with an itch that they can't scratch, so to speak. And um, lastly, it does prevent prostate disease in dogs as well as testicular cancer. Uh, so it's a health thing as well. Um, these are procedures we like to have done routinely. Um, it makes for a healthier, happier pet, a more convenient pet for the pet owner. Uh, but we do hear that many pet owners really believe that in their experience, there seems to be a higher predilection for obesity in their pets that 
are spayed or neutered versus the ones that are not. And in this observation, they're not pulling it out of, they're not really pulling it out of thin air. This is indeed a phenomenon that is true statistically. Spayed and neutered pets are more likely to be obese. But the reason for that is uh, something that may surprise a lot of people because um, while this, you know, statistically it is true that there is a higher likelihood, the reason for that may surprise you. And uh, the bottom line is that we don't want to start reducing the number of spays and neuters we're doing. We want, we want to increase the number because we want safer, better pets. We also want le- uh, population control with the overcrowded shelters. We want to continue to do this, but we also want you to be aware of why these pets become tend to become obese. Um, and again, to, stay, stay tuned and and please uh, pay attention to this because it can very well be prevented. And this is information I'd like you to also spread to other people who don't necessarily take the time to tune in and listen to me. Uh, we do have two listener email questions this evening, and I want to just go ahead and start with the first one before we dive into our topic this evening. This was sent in by Angie of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, this pertains directly to my last podcast where I talked about Walmart and Target being in the pet med business. And here's what she wrote. Dr. Roger, I am a fan, but I have to be honest that I take some issue with your last episode. On one hand, you report that Target, Target and Walmart are in the pet med business. State that unlike some vets, you are not upset about it, mainly because, and correct me if I am wrong, you have shifted your practice's focus on simply charging more for when our pets are sick. Of the 35 or so minutes you talked about this, this is the basic notion that I got out of it. Is this really true? Is this what vets, even seemingly well-intentioned and sincere ones like you, are stooping to to make a buck now that you have lost a monopoly on pet medications? You know, it is not our fault that Walmart, Target, and 1-800-PET-MEDS decided to rain on your parade. Well, that was Frank. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I'm from Northeast New Jersey. I've known quite a few Brooklyners in my day, and I can usually count on a Brooklyner to be Frank, and I do appreciate that. Um, and, And I think that... Angie, you got the kind of the gist, but I, I think you're you're not really un, fully understanding the point I'm get, trying to get across. And I'm just gonna I'm not gonna go over that whole episode all over again. I, I uh, advise that anybody wondering more about that go ahead and go back and listen to that one. We keep everything archived so far indefinitely. So um, the issue is this: Walmart, Target, 1-800 Petmans, Doctors. Uh, Foster and Smith, blah, 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 blah. Name your big retailer, um, have set their sights on the veterinary industry for quite some time. Now, Foster's and Smith and 100 Pet Meds, Pet Med Express, all those places, they've been around, you know, very long time. And uh, recently, though, Walmart and Target got involved, and, you know, they're selling this stuff right from their brick-and-mortar pharmacy and online. So they're attacking us from two fronts. Thing is, there are some vets that are outright stressed about it because for a long time, the pet medications, the preventives particularly, the heartworm preventives, flea and tick preventives, were by prescription only and could only be sold from a veterinary office. That was the intention of the pharmaceuticals that were making these products. And for quite a long time, uh, these were a good source of revenue. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. That's the God honest truth. And with the advent of the revenue that these pet meds brought in because they were such good medications, they still remain very good medications, pivotal in preventing all kinds of problems because fleas and ticks aren't just a nuisance, they're spreaders of disease. And of course, heartworm, we all know what that does. Is, you know, But the newer generation ones are also preventing 
intestinal parasites. These are fantastic medications. The level of health of all the pets went up. The quality of life went up. And the families that own these pets are safer because they're not dealing with all these ecto and endo parasites that can make the family sick. So everybody's winning on this. And the veterinarian's winning because now we saw the profession go from, you know, kind of this this kind of like uh, Peace Corps type existence where, you know, you just kind of, worked with what you had. Uh, it really didn't rival human medicine the way it should have, you know, especially given the understanding that we had of pets. And what we were limited mostly by was the ability to have the great equipment um, to attract the best uh, certified veterinary technicians because CVTs, they have to go to school. And, uh, and going to school and, and uh, getting certified puts them on a certain pay grade. But in a lot of states, you're not required to hire certified veterinary technicians. So, you know, a lot of vets would just hire people, you know, just regular, you know, high school graduates that are just putting out an application, hire off the street, as we call it. Um, it sounds a little worse than it is, but of course they were good, you know, qualified, decent people, but not certified veterinary technicians, and you would train these people on the job, but still not nothing like having that certified veterinary technician education and understanding of physiology. Um, and so we just saw the profession get better. We saw, you know, more and more specialists out there. We saw um, veterinarians having better sophisticated equipment, nicer buildings, more state-of-the-art facilities. And a lot of what brought us there was the pet medication revenue. And so all these Whenever there's a good thing, of course, everyone's going to try to get in on the act. And, of course, corporate is going to always try to suck it out of uh, small business. And that's just the nature of the beast. And so it happened. And now it's happening on probably the largest scale it's ever happened. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that, oh, well, you know what? You're going to get the cheap pet meds. I'm going to gouge you. It's not like that. Um, I, it's more like, okay, look, you you can't have your cake and eat it too in this situation. You can't on one hand, demand that we match the prices of pet meds and Target and Walmart or demand that we give you a script to go there, lose that revenue, say goodbye to it, while at the same time pay the same premium you're paying for when your pet does get sick or injured and expect the same level of care. Um, the bottom line is that you know I have a $72,000 digital x-ray machine which takes the best x-rays I've, I, I could ever envision I didn't even really envision, even when I was in vet school 10 years ago, um, the quality of these images, not reading films, but using digital technology. Um, I have a $35,000 ultrasound that I can get fine soft tissue detail if I have to examine organ systems in a little bit more detail in the chest and the abdomen. Um, I have a $5,000 surgical monitor that maintains patients, uh, you know, optimally stable throughout anesthetic and surgical procedures. I have a $28,000 therapy laser as you know that that's there for all of the things that cold laser can do for us. So I, I could go on and on and on and on with all these things, but the bottom line is that if we're going to continue to have the same level of medicine and offer these services, yet a big chunk of our income has been taken away, then yes, prices have to go up. That's the only way we can sustain it. Um, you know, you're talking about veterinarians that come out of this, come out of school on an average of $175,000 in student loan debt, right? So we come out negative right out of the gates. And so, you know, on one hand, we're trying to keep up 
uh, our quality of medicine to a level that rivals human medicine because many people consider their pets very much a part of their family and want the best for their pets. Um, we're trying to do that. We're trying to keep up with our student loans. The staggering uh, cost of doing business, maintaining our facilities, taxes, all that sort of thing. And, you know, at the, <laughs> at the same token, you're saying, okay, but we want all that, but we want to get our pet meds from Target or we want you to match their prices. So, you know, I think the last statement here says it all. You know, it is not our fault that Target, Walmart, and 1-800-PET-MEDS decided to rain on your parade. You're right, it is not our fault, but it's not, or it's not your fault, but it's not our fault either. And in the end, it is the market and the consumer that dictates what happens. And in the end, people made it very clear they want cheap pet meds. So guess what, folks? You got them. You got them. But, if, you know, God forbid your pet gets sick or injured, you're just going to pay more for it. That's not just my practice. That's the whole industry is going that way. Um, that's just the nature of the beast, and I'm 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 sorry you take it as something cynical or greedy, uh, Angie, but it's really not the case. We're just trying to survive, and uh, not just survive, but survive and provide the best healthcare we possibly can. Um, you know, in the new paradigm where that revenue source has suddenly been taken away over the last five years. So, anyway, not to harp on that too long. Let's get back to spays and neuters. So. Why are these pets getting fatter? Um, this, believe it or not, this has been heavily, heavily studied in veterinary medicine. Um, not, not uh, even like small game studied. This has been like university, veterinary university studied stuff because the bottom line is that people are right. Um, spayed and neutered pets tend to be a little on the chubbier side, and that's just the reality of things. But here's what we figured out. We wanted to figure out first off. Is this a metabolic problem? Are we actually slowing their metabolism, their basal metabolic rate, when we actually perform these procedures? Um, or is there more to the story? Is it more like a lifestyle thing where, look, you know, in the end, people seek to get their pet spayed or neutered. That usually indicates some level of commitment to the pet, uh, that there is some caring involved, and perhaps it's just a higher likelihood that spayed and neutered, pet, spayed and neutered pets, because the fact that they're spayed and neutered, indicates that they maybe uh, have a higher statistical uh, probability of being pampered pets, can also be pampered over indulgent pets, and that's allowed to go on, such as feeding from the table, uh, sharing snacks, um, all that sort of thing. So, you know, what really is at play here? And, and the, the funny thing is that in the end, uh, it seems to be really neither. <laughs> um, the The... Basal metabolic rate does not change. Um, this has been studied repeatedly and consistently. Uh, the various modalities that are used to study metabolic rate in these animals has shown us that basal metabolic rate is unchanged. They are at the same metabolic rate as they were um, before the procedure and, and many years thereafter. It does not change. And, you know, the bottom line is that even, let's say, you have... Uh, people that tend to, you know, your sort of group of people that tend to pamper their animals or over-pamper them in this case, increasing their tendency to be obese. Um, the spay or neuter is not really the best gauge uh, as to whether or not there's going to be pampered pets. There are a lot of pets out there that are spayed and neutered because people just don't want to live with unspayed or unneutered pets, dogs or cats. 
Um, and so even the less than stellar pet owners are still going to look to have their pets spayed and neutered for the most part. So that's not really playing a role here. So what is? <laughs> what is playing a role? Um, the, the bottom line is this. These pets have no changes in metabolism. Their lifestyle is not, you know, gonna really gonna gonna play a role here. Uh what what it what does change is the appetite. And that that folks is the bottom line. So what we discovered in all this study is that estrogen in the female and testosterone in the male have an appetite mitigating effect, meaning that there is a certain level of satiation. Satiation means the feeling of being satisfied from a meal that these hormones give to the pet, whereas the ones that don't have these hormones seem to never be satisfied. They're always hungry. You can't really feed them enough. And I can't tell you how many dogs, how many cats I've had that, you know, have these sort of seemingly never-ending appetites, more so dogs, I would say. But I got these three little gluttons right now, Forrest, Enrique, and... uh, and yogi that can't seem to get enough food. They're just constantly snacking and eating and getting into the dog bowls and the dogs are fed. So, you know, they're an example of even felines that are acting like this. And, of course, we see this worse, this phenomenon worse, actually with the females more than the males. And this goes both on the canine and feline side. Something about estrogen really provides an appetite-mitigating effect. And, and so, you know, your quintessential gluttonous creature is the feline spade, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the female spade canine uh, that is just have, at times, unquenchable appetites. You'd think some of these dogs would be like a goldfish and would eat until they explode. Um, but that's what it comes down to. And, and it's people giving into these appetites and looking into their pleading little eyes and not being able to say no. That, folks, in the end, is what makes these pets more obese. And so there's our reason. Um, the bottom line is that the dog looks at you, looks like he, he or she is starving. The kitty cat looks like, looks at you after a meal like he or she is starving. And the owners are going to, you know, have some compassion and some sympathy for the creature because nobody likes to feel hungry. And so they're going to go ahead and feed them a little more, maybe feed them a little from the plate give them a little cookie here, a snack there, and over time, these animals come in portly. And it's really the owner giving into it in the, that, that's, that's doing that. So, so let's, let's kind of spread the notion that metabolism doesn't change. And you don't have to expect your altered pet, your sterilized pet, to have uh, the, the problem of obesity just because they were spayed or neutered. It is very preventable. If you just do exercise portion control and you feed them pretty much the serving size, feed them exactly you know what they're supposed to be fed per their body weight, then you're, you're really in good shape. And let's talk about, I'll uh, talk about actual feeding guidelines, amounts in proportion to weight uh, in just a moment here after I dive into the next email question. And this is our second and last for the evening. Uh, When I come back, I will talk about how much you should be feeding your pets so we can make this happen less frequently. You know, obesity causes big problems in pets, and I'll touch on that a little bit in just a moment. This one was sent in by Mandy of Des Moines, Iowa. 
My dog has a bad disc in his back and having trouble using his back legs. I cannot afford the $5,000 for back surgery. I listened to his spinal, the spinal injury episode of yours some time ago, and I'm looking to pursue the, laser ther- the therapy laser option you discussed. Has your experience really been that good with laser therapy? Is it worth looking into for my dog? How do I find a vet that has one? Um, great question. And, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I, I meant everything I said in that episode and I mean it, uh, to this day. I mean, there's, there's so many cases that I can look back on and say, goodness gracious, without that laser, we would have had to put this pet to sleep. Cause let's face it, you know, five, six, seven, even $8,000 for, you know, the MRI, the CT scan or, uh, what you know, myelogram or whatever other imaging technique it takes, expensive imaging technique, I must say, uh, plus the surgery, plus the services of a specialist, hospitalization, rehabilitation, all that stuff, it is costly. And I always tell folks, if you know you got a paralytic dog um, or a, per, a paretic dog where you know there's not paralysis, they can still feel, but they can't really use them. You know, your 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 best option for uh, resolution and a quick resolution, absolutely a surgery. Um, back surgery is done so routinely in veterinary medicine now, and, and essentially there's no there's no replacement for actually physically removing that disc material that is impinging on the spinal cord when it herniates. Um, but at the same token, let's face it, not everybody can afford that kind of money for the surgery. It's, it's a lot of money to ask somebody to put out, and a lot of folks are not, especially they, these days, are not willing to... Uh, you know, put themselves in that kind of debt to pay for it. And, and so it's either, you know, put yourself in financial peril or put Fido to sleep. And, and you hate to have to make that decision. Well, therapy laser comes along and it has taken so many of these cases and some have made complete recoveries. Many have made incomplete recoveries, but recovery to the point that quality of life is good enough and while the legs don't don't work perfectly they work well enough for the dog to have quality of life to get to point point a to point b be walked maybe at a medium pace on a leash live without pain and be able to poop and pee and and so you know if if your dog can do that then by all means uh, i think it's worth trying and, and especially because most laser courses are going to cost anywhere between three and five hundred dollars which is you're talking about a much better cost benefit as far as invasiveness to the patient you know let's say let's say money's not an option but you got you know a 13 year old dog with a blown disc in his back and you just can't justify either spending the money or having that level of invasiveness surgery on a 13 year old dog well you know here comes the laser why not do it it's only a few hundred bucks and um you know it's completely uninvasive you're not cutting open anything it's completely non-painful uninvasive um you know, there's no, really no downside to it. I think it's it's one of the best things to happen to veterinary medicine. One of the best things that happened in my practice. Um, I could think of two cases in the last three weeks that came in not walking, and left on their last treatment trotting out. And 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 you know that happens all the time. So I'd say it's worth it. Now, as far as finding a veterinarian that does laser, um, what you want to do is there's probably referral centers around. That you can just you know kind of call around, but what I mean by referral centers is centers with specialists, and you can ask them. Um, if you have been referred for a five thousand dollar back surgery, I would imagine you were referred to a referral center. Perhaps they might know someone who has a laser. They m- might have a laser themselves, and perhaps can offer you uh, that service. Um, the other way to go is 
and I'd like you to write this down. I'm going to say this real quick. The two major laser providers, meaning manufacturers of cold lasers and and uh, veterinary medicine, is Cutting Edge Laser is one, and the other one is Companion Laser. And what you can do is Google either of those. If you just call those companies, tell them your zip code, they can actually tell you uh, what veterinarians are closest to you that actually have one of their lasers, and that's one way you can go about it. But absolutely go for it. I think it's great. So back to spays and neuters. We're talking about uh, spays, neuters, and the tendency to obesity being completely related to uncontrollable appetite and people giving into that. So let's talk about feeding guidelines. How much food should your pet be eating? Um, A good general guideline is look at your pet and make sure, first off, that your pet has all the criteria for a reasonable and good fit body condition. All right, so you, you these are the criteria you want to look at. Um, you want to be able to readily feel the ribs, but you don't want to see them. If you see ribs too light, if you can still feel ribs, that's usually they're at a reasonable weight. If you cannot feel their ribs, it's a good indicator that that pet is overweight. When you look at them from the side, you want to see a nice tucked-in abdomen. You don't want to see a pot belly hanging. You actually want to see... Uh, an abdomen that's, you know, tucked up um, probably, you know, a, f- a few centimeters in proportion to the, the deeper chest area. And when you look at them from above, right behind the chest area, you want to see a tapered in region that's actually called the waist. You want to see a defined waist. If you're seeing a sausage-like figure or even worse, a pear type effect as you're coming off the chest, that is probably a good indication that your pet is overweight. Um, so determine how overweight your pet is, um, or determine if your pet is indeed in good shape. For the pet that is in good shape, what you want to feed them is about, if you're talking about a dog, one cup of food, and when I say one cup, I mean one eight-ounce cup, per 20 pounds of body weight per day. And I like to divide that into two equal feedings. So for the whole day, we are talking about one cup of food per 20 pounds of body weight per day. So a 20-pound dog, for example, would get one 8-ounce cup of food for that entire day because I like to split the daily requirement to keep that rate of metabolism up and also to better satiate the dog. I know I wouldn't want to eat just once a day. We're going to split that amount into two feedings, so half a cup in the morning, half a cup in the evening. And that's our guideline for dogs. Um, For cats, it's going to be about a half a cup per 10 pounds of body weight per day. And, you know, again, that's for the whole day. And like dogs, I actually suggest if if you have a type of kitty that's kind of a grazer and it's a single cat household and that'll work and they just kind of pick and graze here and there, you can leave it down for the day. Uh, Just take the whole half a cup and leave it down. But if you have a kitty that's kind of uh, ravenous and will eat it all up in one sitting, then I would split it into, a you know, cut that that amount in half and and give that that twice a day. Um, Because the, the more... The smaller and more frequent the meals, the better the rate of metabolism, digestion, all that sort of thing. Same, that goes for us as well. Um, and that's your general guideline. Now, if your pet is overweight, you want to determine about how much overweight. You can actually ask your vet this, or you know, you can, there's online, there's actually online calculators you can look at um, to determine how overweight your pet is. And basically, you want to take that guideline and adjust. If you have an underweight pet, you can you know take that guideline and increase a little bit. Um, but but basically that is your guideline, and they shouldn't be any, eating any more or less than that. Um, you know, again, we, there's some wiggle room there. 
depending on what your individual pet's body condition is. And really, that your veterinarian is in the best position to give you that information as far as how much to feed and whatnot. For some reason, the pet food itself and their labels, they just they just have everybody overfeeding their pet. I don't know, I don't know why that is. Are they trying to just sell more food? I don't know what the deal is, but it's always there. You know, when people are overfeeding, it's not always their fault because they're, well, that's what the bag says. Well, the bag is wrong. <laughs> um, so ask your vet. That's the best thing to do. That is our show for this evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, hope you enjoyed it. A little bit of a short one this evening, but uh, sometimes it's nice to just be short and sweet. Uh, sometimes I feel like I just keep on babbling, and uh, this is uh, this is a night that I don't feel that way. So uh, hope you enjoyed it. Angie from Brooklyn, thank you for your comment this evening. Mandy from Des Moines, Iowa, thank you for your question. Uh, I appreciate you guys always tuning in and caring about what I have to say. Please let's keep the email questions, comments coming because I think that's a really fun and important part of the show. And I will talk to you next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.